Welcome to Wealthy Experts, where we interview experts in their field so we can learn all the best ways, tools, and tips that they use to build a wealthy life. I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome, everybody, to Wealthy's 2022 podcast. It is another bright day, and I am, I've thought of no other person to start the series with but the great Peter Esho. Um, Pete, thank you very much again for one, being my business partner, but two, joining us on the show. I know how busy you are. Yeah, look, thanks, Dom. There's no better way to start the year than to be talking to you. And uh, thank you for having me back. And I'm actually really excited about this year. It's been a challenging past couple of years, but I think we've bounced out and um, there's light at the end of the tunnel. So it's good to be talking to you. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean... I like these types of years that we're basically running into. I think when the market's too hot, it's yeah. just everybody's a guru and everybody is, you know, no one can do anything wrong. And it's now when the market starts to tighten, interesting things start to come up, interest rates, inflation, migration. There's all these big things that I think are important for our investors to learn about. And I, I thought, you know, you're the best person for us to be talking to about a lot of this stuff because you're a deep thinker, you're very well read and you understand a lot of these topics better than most. And, but before we jump into 2022, I wanted to just talk about 2021. Like, you know, what were some of the things that shocked you or some surprises or some of the things or things that came out of 2021 that sort of helped to transform you or, or to change some of your critical thinking? I think the pandemic was a big unknown and when everything is predicated on a pandemic, it's very difficult to, to forecast. So what we tried to do was look at the factors that drive investments and it's basically interest rates and the availability of money that, that dictates where prices go. And I think, Don, what surprised me is the, the impact or the extent that the money printing of 2020 had on 2021. We really felt it last year. There was a lot of money flowing around the economy, ultra low rates. And sometimes when these policymakers, banks, governments do these things, they do them and they sit back and wait, right? They don't have a crystal ball. They need to sort of see and test like a little experiment lab. And the experiment ran its course last year. And what came out of it was that they probably pushed a little bit too hard. They probably fueled too much money. They may have panicked a little bit too much, but they would rather do that than not panic enough. Uh, and so this year is a year of readjustment. I like to think of markets like waves uh, and, you know, waves move in cycles. There's ups and downs. And after you have an up, you have to have a period of moderation. And as investors, what we try to do is we look for opportunity regardless of where we are in the cycle. Regardless of where the wave is, we want to be proactive and we want to find opportunity. So that's my focus this year. Yeah, I think that that's a really, really good way to think about it because we've seen the ups and we've seen the downs and you are right in every single 
cycle or every part of the economic cycle or, or property cycle, there are opportunities. And it sounds cliche because we're property people. Of course, we're going to say that. But I mean, it, that's just the way it is. Even just really? broadly as investments, there are lots of different things that, that people um, gravitate towards. You know, I'm not that surprised that off the back of the last couple of years, things like cryptocurrency and NFTs and all of these things went ballistic because, you know, the risk-free rate, like cash wasn't doing anything. Cash was cheap. And there's the opportunity for you to go and start putting money into all sorts of different things. And it became harder to go and get a real return. So these overnight millionaires, it's too hard to not gravitate towards that. So for me, that was a really interesting thing. And now we're going through a bit of a, a correction and, and it's going to do what it's going to do. I don't want to have too much of a comment about that. But is there anything that you want to sort of talk about that? I know that you were paying attention to crypto and still do it at, at some points. Dom, it's like a party. The best analogy I can draw is imagine we have a party where we have 20 guests and you bring an amount of alcohol that's here or you bring an amount of alcohol that's here. The more alcohol you add, the more likely people are to get drunk, right? So you just throw alcohol at that party, you throw substances, people are in that mood. If he's consuming, I should consume. And the more you as a, as a host bring in, the more your guests are going to consume. But it's about who backs up the best, you know, who has the least hangover. And I think that's, that's where long-term investing comes in. I think this year is about backing up from the binge. And we have to acknowledge that there was a binge. And we have to now look and see what are the consequences and how to play it. And I really, really believe that this year is about investors, particularly real estate investors, moving from a focus on capital gain towards income growth. That's where I think there's huge opportunity. And we can talk a little bit more about that if you like. Yeah, please. Let's talk about that. I mean, to that point, you know, one of the things that everyone's hearing about are inflation numbers, interest rates, the relationship between the two. And I'm imagining that's the reason why you're going to start talking about income growth. You know, US posted inflation numbers at 7%, which is China numbers. Um, you know, Australia's 3.5%, not crazy, um, but still certainly above where they want it to be. And now there are discussions of what the Reserve Bank's um, Treasury's talking about interest rates increasing in maybe March for the US and then for us certainly by the end of the year. And is, are these, is this parting playing part of your psychology when you're thinking about income growth and what's the relationship in your mind? Yeah, absolutely, John. So last year you could have gone out and borrowed a million dollars worth of borrowing. Let's keep it easy and assume you're paying 2%. That's $20,000. Now, if interest rates go to 3%, it doesn't sound like much. You can sit there and say, well, rates are still cheap, right? Or my parents paid 17%, I'm still paying 3%. But what happens is my interest cost goes from 20 grand to 30 grand. That's a 50% increase, right, to my interest cost. And so in periods where in, uh, interest rates are low, you have to look at how much money you've borrowed and you have to look at how you've used that money. So in real estate, there's two ways you generate a return. Most people look at capital appreciation. It's very simple. I drive past, I see how much my property's worth, how much my neighbor's property is worth, 
and that's where we we all like instant gratification and that's where we focus right what happened to real estate prices in terms of capital appreciation but that's not where you you generate all of your returns as a real estate investor you also generate return from the income the rent that comes from your asset and you take your capital appreciation and your rental income and together they combine as total return and what i believe is we're going to be focusing less this year on capital appreciation and more on what's my actual asset bringing me in terms of a return and how much can that grow or how much can that actually go down yeah and part of that total return is and people don't give it enough attention it's tax effectiveness mm. of your investments as well now you know we obviously operate and work with a lot of brand new property it does have its tax effectiveness but i want to go swing back to income growth and your thoughts on that what kind of assets are you looking at or have you historically been a part of or are you advising family friends clients to seriously consider that they may not have in the past where do you see the most income growth across the sort of real estate markets it is the markets where you will have more activity to make it really really simple real estate is a network asset and where there's more activity there's more demand and there's more pressure on rents which is the income that you get as a real estate investor going up and so what happened during the pandemic dom is certain markets saw the opposite foreign students left people left the cities they moved into regions they put up upward pressure in regions like it was very difficult and it still is very difficult to rent uh, a really nice house on the coast or in a beautiful uh, regional center because there's more demand and it's really cheap uh, to go and rent an apartment in a tower in the middle of the city for example but what happens when we come back you know what happens when salaries start to rise when things the price of things starts to go up incomes go up salaries go up jobs people are attracted to jobs and i think this year you really need to be focusing on real estate residential real estate assets that are generating at least a 4% return you want to be generating at least 4% return on your money and if you're not then i think you really need to look at that asset and say can it generate 4% this year by me increasing my rent if not it's probably time to part and let go particularly if you've had capital appreciation and rotate into something because rates are rising they're going to rise quickly and you need to make sure that as the water rises your head is above water not below water yeah it's a really good point and i think this is a a point to make that when as investors we're building a portfolio of assets it doesn't one thing won't tick all the boxes and it's good to diversify your your risk and your return across a number of different things that will that will help keep you above water that will assist you in the long term growth of your portfolio i mean we do get caught in the literature of day to day and and look for 10x tomorrow and that's just the nature of social media and and instant gratification and you know sugar hits as we as we know them 
But the best investors we talk about all the time, it's long-term. And long-term is more than 10 years. That's medium, really. Seven years, 10 years is kind of the medium term. Long-term is 20 plus years. And 20 years, it seems like a long time today. But if you're looking at the right properties, they're just going to keep on giving you that, that rental return, that strong-term growth, as well as that capital growth in different mixtures and at different times. And I think that that's important to pay attention to. Because another key thing that I think that you've been pointing to, something that we've been discussing for the past two years, is migration and that can't be undersold. Um, have you got any thoughts about migration, what you think is going to happen and, and maybe something that you, you've personally felt with any of your assets? Australia's always been a migrant story. My parents, your parents, we've all migrated here. Um, at some point in time. And when we've migrated, we've migrated from a particular culture or a particular reference point. So what you believe in your culture of origin, you usually bring with you and it takes time for that. If we have a look at the migrants that have come to Australia over the past 10 years, for example, we have to think and say, are they going to be from different cultures to those that come in the next 10 or 20 years? And what do they value? How do they behave? Some cultures don't care about the beach or don't care about the things that other cultures care about. And so it's really important for you to understand what the patch that you're playing in, the geography that you're playing in. For example, if you're investing in Queensland, the migration that comes into Queensland over the past two years has been very much internal migration. People living, leaving New South Wales and Victoria, usually families that are crammed in and felt some type of claustrophobia from the lockdowns and want to take that elsewhere and improve their standard of life. But the migrants that come into Sydney and the government policy around skilled migrants and you know certain industries, if they're going to come from places like India, for example, or the subcontinent, what do they value? You know, what type of life do they want to be living in this country? Um, very different to someone who migrates to Dubai or Singapore or Hong Kong, for example. So you've got to know your patch. Once you know your patch, you, you need to figure out who is the likely marginal tenant that comes in. What do they want and how much are they willing to pay? And do they have the capacity based on their income to pay higher rents? Yeah, it's a really good point. And thinking like, you know, your target market, if you will, will empower you to really project what the property will do and how it will perform. Uh, I think that, you know, there's a lot of interesting literature. We've been talking about it recently, 2020, 2021. We, we didn't, we lost nearly 100,000 people in Australia that went back home. 2021, 2022, um, that time period, 77,000. It's expected from 2022 to 23, we're going to now gain 100,000. 23, 24 to 200,000. 24, 25, 230,000. Now, the mix of those people are going to be largely skilled migrants, then family, and they're going to come to Sydney first, Melbourne second. And I think part of that equation is they're not going to go and buy something straight away. First, they're mm. a renter, then they're a purchaser. And when they think about when they're going to rent, it's as you said, Italians came in, they all went to Five Dock, Aberfield, Abbotsford. You know, they liked Drummond. They stayed next to one another because it feels like home. 
Same yeah. thing with the, the, the wave of migrants. When they come in, they want to be next to people like their own. They want to be in their cultural uh, community groups. And they will pay a premium to be next to mum or dad, next to family and friends, and next to work. So paying attention to skilled infrastructure and where that's going to go will then tell you portability and then close to proxim pro close proximity to workplaces, that's going to get you a premium rent. That's going to get you a rental growth and eventually capital growth because they'll want to buy and invest there. Um, is there anything that you want to talk about relating to sort of affordability and the way the market's moving? And, and let me preface this. You and I both predicted and we knew and anticipated that COVID would come, regional centres would grow, beachside suburbs would grow, houses would grow because they typically start first and they're also the first to kind of come back off. Sydney last year did about 33% um, and premium suburbs are now, led by premium suburbs and houses, now they're the first to come back off. Um, what kind of impact will these interest rates have and, and will affordability have a sort of be a key theme in 2022-2023? Oh, absolutely. I think the biggest vulnerability in the market, let's start with vulnerability and, and work our way out, is the person that went and overcapitalized or borrowed too much money on their primary residence during the boom, right? So they saw a house, they loved a interest rates are cheap. My broker told me I can borrow X amount. Record savings as well. Yeah, record savings. My next door neighbor, you know, if my sister-in-law's got a nice house, why shouldn't I have a nice house? That, that thing, right? And they've gone and borrowed a lot of money. And as, as interest rates rise, they don't have rental income. They're, they're, they're funding that from their salaries. And interest rates might rise. You know, we spoke about a 2% going to a 3% is a 50% increase. So interest rates might actually rise quicker than what their salaries rise or it's not just rates rising, childcare is rising and a lot of different things. So big vulnerability uh, first and foremost there. Then it's the investors that went and bought things because they just followed the herd because they heard Brisbane's booming or I should go and buy a house or, you know, they went and focused on things that aren't necessarily financial drivers. So I think there's going to be a little bit of vulnerability there. Someone who overexposed on an investment property and they can't afford to keep it or whatever that might be. But the investor who went in and bought something um, that has the ability for income to grow in a very good city like Sydney or Melbourne, close proximity infrastructure, I believe, even Brisbane, right? Like, I believe you can invest in Brisbane if you invest in the right areas and in the right stock and in close to infrastructure and something that's better than mediocre. If you bought something in a really good area, that's going to grow. Those investors, if they can take their rent uh, from 600 a week to 800 a week or 900 a week, they're actually going to do quite well because they have the ability to bunker down, not worry about rates rising because their rents are actually rising more. And they can, you know, ride that wave that we spoke about and maybe even use that as an opportunity, as you said, to grow their portfolio, to pick something else. They're going to be the least vulnerable and those that have no income power, no ability to offset rate rises. You can't, if the Reserve Bank raises rates or if all the banks raise rates, what am I going to do? 
unless I can go and raise money cheaper or have a source of funding that's cheaper than the banks, which is very unlikely, then I have to take that. But what I can do is focus on income growth. Yeah, it's a really, really good point because people don't understand or they don't really think about their property as part of their income. Yes. It is. And you can drive income growth through your property. You can drive 20, 30% through your, your property. Some people do it through um, residential. Some people do it through commercial. Some people will go and uh, start buying diversified assets that are income generating assets. And I think that is a very clever way to ride the wave and be aware of, to, to, to cushion out your vulnerabilities, let's just say. You know, and I've got to say, I got caught up in that, that excitement of it all as well. You know, Charlotte was looking at me and saying, why don't we go buy a two or $3 million house? And we did the calculations. We're like, oh, we can afford this. But when you have a look at where the money's coming from and it's all my salary, and yes. then suddenly I'm having a baby. So he's, he's already taking up space in the next couple of months, he's going to be joining us. But now Charlotte won't be working. So then it's going to be all my salary. So that's just one little microcosm of what could happen across the rest of Australia. And I think that fear is one of the biggest motivators that will drive the market up and down. Fear of missing out will drive it up. And the fear of, um, you know, losing everything will then drive it down. So people will fire, sell and do that kind of behavior. And I think fear is one of those quick knee-jerk things and it moves way faster than people anticipate. So you and I, people didn't expect the market to run 30%, but it happened because of fear. The fear of missing out really drove it. Yes. And the same thing can happen in the other direction, right? Yes, particularly in vulnerable pockets. Uh, pockets of vulnerability, um, you know, Western Sydney, for example, properties that went from 800 grand to one and a half million dollars, just purely because interest rates went down. Um, no other driver, rents haven't gone up to that extent. Rents may have actually come down, right? Because there's been more rental supply. Something like that, I think you need to be careful. Melbourne's been a market that's been on its knees for most of the pandemic and a lot of people wrote it off, but I think it's, it's going to get its groove back and you're going to have a more balanced market there. Brisbane's going to be a market where it's, it's a flat market. So what I mean by that is the price differential between um, an average suburb and a premium suburb isn't as great. Like in Sydney, for example, the difference between the top notch and, and everything else is more extreme. I think Brisbane, you'll start to see more extreme uh, moving towards an extreme because people will want to live in areas that are underdeveloped, nice, new stock. And there's a lot of supply coming in terms of um, more land coming down south, for example. So we all make, we all make, um, we all get caught up by hype. And what I want to do is I don't want to sound alarmist or I don't want to scare anybody, but what I want to do my message is that focus on income let's focus on income this year yeah so if we bought something in the portfolio great good on you because real estate investment is a great way to build long-term wealth so let's focus on getting our financing structure right maybe you need to speak to your bank or your broker about having some certainty around what you're paying around rates and let's start looking at tenants let's start looking at who our property manager is 
let's start looking at the rental market, let's start looking at leases, you know, are you committing to a 12 month lease? Or, or do you have a tenant? Let, let's focus on that side of the equation this year, while the market in terms of price does its thing. Um, because we're investing for the long term, and we want to stay in the game for as long as we can, because that's when you make money. Yeah, completely agree. And I just want to add to what you just said there. I think that there are opportunities across the whole market, but there's going to be a lot of traps. Um, I think that we, we, we shit can Brisbane a little bit, but just because we see the vulnerabilities, I actually like a lot of Brisbane. I like the Sunshine Coast. I like the Gold Coast. I like Richard Orr. I like a lot of those pockets, and there are a lot of really good opportunities around Brisbane that you can invest in. I, we, we do say that Melbourne's a great market to jump into because of the vulnerabilities and it's been on its knees. But again, we should be aware that there are some parts of Melbourne that I wouldn't be touching. It is a bit scary. If it's a deal and it smells like a deal, maybe double check why it's so cheap. Cheap is cheap for a reason. I think that, you know, Canberra can, can be a great market, but again, there are pockets that are scary. So I just want to put that message out there. When we say we like these opportunities, we don't like this and we do like that, it is a broad stroke and it doesn't approach, it doesn't apply to everything. There are opportunities in all of these markets. We're aware of them. We operate in them. It's just that when we say something's bad, it means that generally be careful. When we say something's good, it means generally you can't really go too far wrong. Peter, um, I, I want to also say, yes, let's focus on income growth. It's something that I'm definitely doing personally as a strategy and I have my eyes on the capital growth, but income is the one thing that will keep us alive day to day. And, you know, God forbid something happens. It's that thing that will just keep you going. Um, what are your words of wisdom just to wrap up this podcast? Is there anything that you've seen, read or heard that you found profound or interesting or thought, hey, this is something that I want to share? My words of wisdom are that there's always opportunity and extremes are not a good environments, either an extremely hot market or an extremely uh, bad market to get caught into the hype. So you, this is a great year because if the market softens a little bit on capital appreciation, that's a fantastic opportunity to buy. Like you want to be thinking different to everybody um, at the barbecue. You want to be thinking strategically. You want to work with people that are experienced. You want to actually um, not get caught up by what's on the front page of the newspaper. So this year you will see things on the front page of the newspaper, interest rates rising, inflation is a problem. And I think my message to people is see the opportunity in that. You know, when, when everyone was saying housing market up 30%, you, you wanted to see the opportunity in that and think I can buy a really good asset or if I have something in my portfolio that I want to sell, now's the time to sell. So um, see opportunities, don't fall for the hype, work with really good people and always think about real estate as capital appreciation and income. And usually the investors that do really well are the ones that get income down pat. The person that bought an apartment in Bondi in 1980 that was rented for $150 a week and now that's $1,500 a week has 10x their income. That's why the property has gone up and will probably 10x their income in the next 10 years, right? So let's, let's, um, 
let's see opportunity and income growth because there's going to be a lot of income growth. I actually think um, properties in major metropolitan cities in Australia are really cheap. If you have a look at what you pay in London, San Francisco, New York, all around the world, and what you get for your money, you get a lot more in Australia. And I think that's going to draw a lot of people to come and live here and build lives here and contribute to our beautiful country. Really appreciate that. And if they are some words of wisdom. We're very lucky to be able to look at all these other markets. We go through the plans, the price lists, and check out developments across the world. Um, and with that as our yardstick, it helps reframe our mind because often if you look at a market, you're like, wow, that's so expensive. And you think, well, relative to what? And then we have a look at other major metropolitan hubs around the world and we go, holy shit, this is so cheap. It like lifts the veil from your eyes and you go, well, you can suddenly see 10 years into the future. You can watch it almost unfold before you and realize the value in these assets that are sitting in, the, in your palm of your hand. So I, I really, really do agree with you. Thank you for sharing your words of wisdom. Thanks for jumping on the podcast today. For all of you out there, Thank you for listening. Um, we really appreciate your support. Keep on listening. Keep on subscribing. Share it with all your friends. And if there's something on here that you didn't understand or something that you don't agree with or that you just want to highlight, leave it in the comments below. You know, engage us. Like, do all that fun stuff. Dom, I want to add one more thing. It just skips my mind. And I know we're wrapping up, but um, my, my, my super last final message is this. If you're young and you've been investing in crypto last year and you're sort of looking at the crypto market and where it's at, I actually think it's a good time to take that money off the table and think about real estate investment this year because crypto as a theme is genuine. It's true. We spoke about it two years ago and we will continue to. But the crypto market's looking very vulnerable and I see and meet a lot of people that have overexposed into it. You can invest in crypto. You can believe in the technology. But if you've got sizable money and it's still sitting on the table, I actually think now, now is the perfect opportunity to take that out, invest it into something that is, has income paying you and you have that very nice diversification strategy. I really fear that people that are overexposed to crypto and there's so many of them are in for a very difficult year. Yeah, completely agree. And look, just to be clear, I do have money in crypto, but it's not an outsized weighting. That's the important part of that message. Well, mate, thanks for the last words of wisdom. Um, see you through the year. And guys, keep on watching, listening. We'll see you all soon. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Tom.